And so that was that weird moment where, you know, Edgar would sort of yell, cut. And, uh, you know, it's, he'd quickly yell over the other side of the set, you know, Paul, how does it look? And I'd very quickly have to try and put it together. Meanwhile, the whole crew and the cast and the execs are all standing around. And, I, and if I said, yeah, it's great, you know, he would say, great. I knew then, he would say, I knew we could move on. Because if Paul said it was, it was good, we got the take, then I knew we had it. That was film editor Paul Matchless talking about the exciting challenges of editing on the set as Edgar Wright shot Baby Driver. This is listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie podcast, and I'm Beth Accomando. This is the third and final podcast dedicated to the art and craft of film editing. I conducted my interviews with Tatiana S. Rigel, Stephen Marioni, and Paul Matchless for the Comic-Con Museum's Storytelling Across Media program back in October. I was so impressed with the wealth of knowledge these film editors had and their insights into cinematic storytelling that I wanted to share their full interviews here on the podcast, since I had to cut the three interviews down to a 50-minute panel. What I love about these editors is that each one provides a different window into their craft and shares a different perspective about what makes for a good editor. Paul Matchless has had a wildly creative collaboration with director Edgar Wright and is seriously taking editing and the technology available to editors to a new level. While many editors may visit a set, Matchless was on the set for nearly the entire shooting of Baby Driver and was editing on the set as scenes were being shot. That's rare. So hold tight for one quick break, and then I'll be back to speak with Oscar-nominated film editor Paul Matchless about his work with Edgar Wright and some surprising film recommendations for appreciating the diverse ways editing can impact cinematic storytelling. I'm Beth Accomando, KPBS arts reporter and host of the Cinema Junkie podcast. I'm also a geeky gourmet who likes to bake food themed to the movies I watch, like chocolate blood to savor with Dracula, or an extra chewy Wookiee cookie to enjoy with Star Wars. I'm geeky about the things I love, and that makes me a public radio geek as well. I love being able to connect with audiences just like you through TV, radio, the web, and podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. So, are you a KPBS geek? If so, then I'm asking you to get in touch with your inner nerd and become a member of KPBS today. Just go to kpbs.org and click the blue Give Now button and make a donation. That's right. Let's geek out together about the things we love. Paul, to start with, I wanted to ask you, how did you decide to become a film editor? Because it is not the most glamorous job in Hollywood. No, it's certainly not. I think you have to be of uh, a certain mindset. Even before the idea of wanting to be a film editor, I think you just need to be someone who maybe in some respects enjoys their own company or can just spend hours and hours just literally being on their own. But actually, it sounds worse than it is because actually you're on your own, but you are uh, in the process sometimes doing quite remarkable things being an editor. So um, yes, I mean, that's, that, that's certainly one of it, one of those things. I mean, I guess really for me, my beginning was more of a technical kind of background, having kind of started in television 
and worked my way up from from the floor literally from cable bashing on a on a, a multi-camera uh, studio floor i don't know i mean i guess to, to a degree i was fascinated with the whole with the whole process of filmmaking and i think i always found editing or just what what i came to understand as post-production uh the most interesting part i mean i was I mean, I remember being old enough when my father took me to see the first Star Wars when it, when it, when it came out and just thinking, I mean, obviously what a great story and how exciting and everything, but, but always in my head, just even then, just kind of thinking, how was that done? And my father, actually, he was a copywriter and a producer for an ad agency. And so they had a little kind of very rough machine sort of tape editing system. And uh, I suppose, and a camera and access to a, 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 a video camera. And I think when I was uh, at school during, during holiday between terms, I'd go and take the camera, get friends involved in um, uh, doing little productions, and then going, going to his office and editing them, putting them together and, and sort of learning that way. Learning that way and actually probably just watching tons and tons of movies. You know, I'm, I'm not, I didn't go the official route of uh, doing a course, uh, you know, I, I I was planning to go to university, but then, as I say, I got a, a week's work experience at a TV studio at 17, and they very kindly offered me a job. So, uh, much to my mum's absolute horror, I ditched the uh, uh, the the tertiary education for, uh, for 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 a life in the industry. Um, of course, it's it's taken her years. I think now she's just about calm down and uh, reconcile to the idea but but that's really how it was kind of being in the industry learning watching people and slowly slowly climbing the ladder and being given uh, well actually the probably the easiest way to summarize it would be really right place right time in terms of the people i met the opportunities i was given but then i suppose capitalizing and making sure those opportunities uh, worked well uh, when those chances were offered. From my perspective, it seems like an editor also needs to have great organizational skills. It seems like that's part of what the job entails. I think so. Having having a good mind that's able to kind of categorize things and compartmentalize things is actually, I think, is rather important. I mean, uh, even now when you're when you're editing a feature film and you know you're deep in post production and there's maybe up to two thousand various slates. Uh, of footage each five or six takes in and a director would go is there a better one than the one we're looking at now and and you find it in yourself to say even though that you've been working on this for a year you could sort of go well I remember I think take two might be better than take eight let's wish I remember take two was quite good and I think that's what happens is, 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 is that you learn I think one of the techniques you learn is to soak up every bit of information presented to you. So you learn across all the takes and especially when you're working on specific scenes, you recall when you saw them the first time, when you washed the rushes the first time, when you assembled it the first time, all those various things suddenly come to the fore. And I can't quite tell you how it's done, but I guess it's it's one of those things that, that you know, like the riding the bike thing, if you do it so often, it tends to become second nature. And I suppose as well as, as, as you know, the ability to be creative and, and put scenes together, the recall of information, I guess, yes, is, is very much a, um, a strong point, um, certainly in the editorial field. What would you describe as the storytelling tools that you feel an editor has that maybe people aren't aware of? Uh, the storytelling tools, well, I mean, you know, I've, I've often equated, you know, I mean, a good editor is a good is a good storyteller. So I suppose in one way, if you look at a, if, if, if you look at one definition of storytelling and say the words in a 
in the in the pages of a book basically how how just reading text on a page allows you to get immersed into a story and to visualize the images and to kind of escape in the in the subject matter i guess editorially we have we 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 do exactly the same thing i mean we have the advantage of of, of being able to show you the pictures as well as as well as um uh, give you give you the dialogue but i guess also we're responsible for the pacing of the story the the, the telling of it i mean the story has been written by by others and acted by others and shot by others but i guess what we can do is put all those moments together and just make it flow seamlessly I mean, it's often, it's very often said when an editor does their best work, nobody notices because really, and you, and you, and you shouldn't, it, it's, it's, and it's one of those weird anomalies when it, certainly when it comes to like, you know, other things in filmmaking, because everyone can go, Oh, that was a really great costume design. I thought that was, that looks really good. Wow. That's a really exciting sound mix. I can hear that's, there's a lot of work into that. How would you describe a good edit? Oh, that's, you know, that's a good place to put a cut, uh, you know, or there's a mix there, or that's a good time to cut. You know, you don't normally think in that way. So it's it's this kind of slightly abstract approach to, to filmmaking, which you're kind of responsible for to a degree. But I suppose if you didn't do your job well, or if the editing let the film down, you'd probably notice that more than a lot of other elements of, of the film. Describe how an editor can actually help craft a performance. Because again, I think this is something people may not be aware that you are able to have an impact on. Yes, I suppose in some respects, it's always the, the editor always looks to the person on screen initially obviously to craft the performance because that's that's what they're there to do i guess 99 times out of 100 they do an amazing job and really you take their good work and, and, and put it together i mean but there are there are elements i suppose when you're when you're in in a cutting room and it and it's down to the fact that you know say why why does a director sometimes shoot five takes instead of two or ten takes instead of five because they're looking for certain element of performance for for a scene uh, of course so is so is the editor i mean what is interesting then about that that about that point is it's sometimes because the editor is in a nice quiet environment they could really study what's going on on their screen they could sometimes see things that maybe the director at the time didn't didn't see because they might say use take five that i think that was the best take and actually you look at it and go well you know what there's something about take two you know and you can offer that up as a, as, a, as, a, as an alternative so i suppose in one respect you're always looking how to make sure the performances work seamlessly say across a scene across multiple takes across sometimes what the actor is offering you as well because um there's always things to look out for little emotional beats and things to help tell a story and i guess one of the the editor's role in one respect is maybe to craft the best performance for a person for a scene for a moment out of all out of all performances offered so more often than not you you sometimes don't just go it's a bit tricky because actually sometimes you grab the best line read of each take that you see say if there are six takes but sometimes it will look like that you've stolen a line from six different takes because it just there's just something about it that individually they're great when you join them up less so so you start to go okay well i love that read is better than that but i could see there's a jump in their body position or something so 
I'm going to have to find the read, the best read there, and maybe to go across to another shot, a close-up or a reaction or a cutaway. So when I come back to the take I'd really like to use for that line, no one's really going to notice that I've jumped takes or the position slightly different because I've kind of gone away for just the length of time that when I come back, it feels it feels a bit seamless. And I guess in that respect, that's they're the kind of tricks, really, that an editor has to sort of create the impression that it is a seamless performance. And more often than not, you know, it is an actor will always give a seamless performance. But in the context of filmmaking, when you're more often than not shooting one angle at a time, once you get all the angles together, you do really want the ability to craft the best performance for all the corresponding shots as well, not just the, the one shot, which is the actor saying the line, the line of the time. Uh, so I guess in, 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 in that respect, you're looking in, in, in all the footage to be able to craft something seamless that actually gives over the message of the scene in maybe the way that, you know, the best way that the director potentially intended or that you, that you could offer as well. And, you know, between you and them, you, 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 craft, you craft a scene with all the elements you're given. Uh, so you have a lot to play with when editing the scene is not just footage, of course, sound effects, all those things are at your disposal really to just help sell that particular moment. I know each director is different, but what can you discuss about the collaborative process that you have with a director and, and what's kind of expected from an editor in that? Every director, of course, approaches it a little bit differently. I think all directors are looking for a collaboration of uh, some degree. I mean, obviously, there are there are some directors I've worked with with whom, uh, you know, they have a they have an approach in post production whereby, you know, they want to make sure that they uh, look at all the footage to make sure that not only you but they have seen everything to make sure the best possible takes are there in the uh, final edit. There are other directors, though, whose approach is very different. They they rely on you. They expect that you have done your job, um, just as they think they've done theirs. If you've done your job, the scene plays pretty well. And I've had some directors watch something I've done and assemble, and they said, well, that's great. I would change that line and that line, but otherwise I think it's good because, you know, the directors, they were there at the time. They knew what performances were in the can. If you've used, if you've used a combination of you know, the takes that they've suggested in the script supervisor's notes, and they expect you to do what you need to do in order to, to keep the smooth uh, telling of the story. Some directors are, are actually just happy to go, yeah, that's great. That's kind of what I expected. That's what I saw on the set uh, when we were doing it. And so I'm very pleased with that. I mean, I have to say, working with someone, say, like Edgar Wright, really, I mean, they're, they're, we're on a, a different level of collaboration there because um, as I'm probably bored, a lot of people are saying over the years, the, we, have, we have this uh, uh, shared experience of me working on set with him and being there at the process of uh, filming all the takes and editing as we go. Uh, so he has kind of a running commentary on how the edit's progressing as well as how the shoot's progressing. And then of course we break it down to the nth degree in, in the cutting room, you know, and we will audition dozens of variations and throw in sound effects and come up with new ideas, especially in sound design, for how we can do something unique here at this moment there. And actually that's that's a lot of what I get with, with Edgar is actually you have a lot of time there just to experiment and work on new on new things rather than it's less of a feeling that the whip is being cracked. Although I'm sure from a studio executive's point of view, they love that whip to be 
to be cracked as fast as possible. And I think one reason why Edgar's films turn out the way they do is because we are, um, uh, I wouldn't say given the time, but given the time, that, that within the time that we are given, uh, we kind of indulge in trying to, to trying to do something, maybe a new approach that we haven't done before in terms of sound or in terms of construction. And based on actually what we've done during the shoot, the kind of rough edit I've put together during the shoot, we, we then build, we build on that. But we take our time in, in one of Edgar's films, uh, you know, to make sure those scenes play just how, how he intends. Um, but also I get, I guess the tremendous amount of satisfaction I get from those films is the, the collaboration, the collaborative aspect, the amount of input and ideas that you can, you can throw up. I mean, at the end of the day, he'll go, I like it, I don't like it, but he'll never stop asking for new thoughts and suggestions, which for the, an editor is, is fantastic. Since you brought up Edgar Wright, talk a little bit about Baby Driver because that feels a little bit unique in terms of the role the editor had and how planned out some of the action was to music as well as script and uh, discuss that a little. Well, Baby Driver, I think, was so different because I think for that film, it was the culmination of a lot of processes Edgar and I have been building up over the years in other films and TV projects and things whereby I think he and I worked, when did we start working? I think four, four to five years before we actually shot the first frame of film, I think I helped him, I'd go over to his place uh, with a laptop and we'd start just by even putting the songs together. I mean, Edgar chose the songs, but we'd try and do almost like, firstly, like a DJ mix, just to see how songs would interleave one into the other. Uh, and then we'd do another pass where we'd embellish, we'd put sound effects in between each songs just to get an idea of how that, how it would just kind of feel. And then there was a table read done in Los Angeles of work, whatever the version of the screenplay was at that point. And he sent that over to me. And then we, I kind of basically built a radio play of the whole film, but just in sound form. So I took the, the table read, put the music in, put the dialogue, I mean, the, you know, the actors read, sound effects, and you could actually listen to the whole thing in headphones as like a 100 minute radio play, which I don't know if anyone's gone to that kind of length before, but it was, I think it was very good. It was a very good selling point to the studios who were a little unsure as to what it was that they might be buying into. Um, it was a really good idea for them to sort of go, okay, I get it. And Edgar could just go, so you can hear this. We just need to put the pictures on top of this, but this is effectively, this is effectively it. So that was that whole prep period. And then when we finally moved to Atlanta and Edgar said, you know, I think I'd prefer you on set the whole time now, or as, as, as much as possible. So I think that was the first time that I was there on previous films, I'd come on set for a few weeks and go back to the cutting room. I think I was on set for maybe 95% of the time there. And it was the first time I think we worked with that real kind of immediate feedback, making sure the action was in line with the music, was in line with the duration of the that section of the track and the dialogue and the camera move landed at the right time and everything kind of happened. And so, and so there was that weird, weird moment where where, you know, Edgar would sort of yell, cut, and, uh, you know, it's, he'd quickly yell over the other side of the set, you know, Paul, how does it look? And I'd very quickly have to try and put it together. Meanwhile, the whole crew and the cast and the execs are all standing around. And I, and, I mean, Edgar, bless him, he would kind of, if I said, yeah, it's great, you know, he would say, great, I knew then, he would say, I knew we could move on, because if Paul said it was 
it was good, we got the take, then I knew we had it and we could move on. So, I mean, a, a huge amount of responsibility there. But I guess over the years when you, you're, as I was saying before, you're kind of tr training yourself for that moment and that, that relationship that you have with one director that happens over the years. And I've, like I said, I've been very lucky to have, if I've had one director in my life that's made a real difference, it has been Edgar. And so when Baby Driver came along, we really had a kind of second nature as to how we worked worked on set and I think that's that's uh, that's what helped make the film I think the the the, the total uh, joy and success for Edgar that, that that it ended up being. And what advice would you have for directors to create a better working relationship with an editor? Oh gosh that's an interesting one because normally I, I would kind of say what advice would you give to editors to work better for uh, for, for directors I mean look every every director is is their own their own person and they always bring something unique to, to the table. I mean, it's like when you when you start watching a particularly particular director's rushes, you almost feel like that's the beginning of their element of communication with you when you start seeing what they're doing and you start getting an idea of, oh, right, okay, I can see by how that shot ends and how the next one starts, what they'd like to achieve. And I guess in some respects, there's, there is that kind of unspoken thing, but it's spoken through the image. You know, a, a, an editor can work out what a director wants just simply by seeing how the shots are starting to get uh, get constructed. And I guess as, as from a director's point of view, I guess it's it's you know knowing that an editor will always strive to do their best their best work for you if there's any if there's any issues. I mean, you know, an editor can always see sometimes a little more laterally if there's a gap or if there's a shot that's required or if there's just something missing in a scene, you know, the, 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 the fact that an editor could, could call up the set or if you're on set, you can sort of, you know, and sometimes like with Edgar, I would kind of call him over and I'd watch the sequence and we'd watch the sequence together. I'd kind of go, do you think we should get some a shot here that helps bridge between that moment and that moment? Because I know it wasn't on the storyboard, but you can see it might be really useful. And you go, eh, maybe, maybe you're right. And I think that's the thing. I think when you realize that editors in that respect aren't really being willfully obstructive, but they, they just bring their element to the story that you, the director, are trying to tell, that actually that it's, that it's, it, 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 it's a great partnership together. And, and I think, uh, you know, um, I know, I know directors rely on the editor to take their footage and craft it well. And I think, I think, the other the other ways that editors know that, that directors have a, a story they they want to tell and editors endeavor to do to, to do justice to that to that too so i guess i suppose <laughs> what am i trying to say i suppose really directors should just also just keep that open mind in the in, in terms of what an editor can bring sometimes the story might be a little different to what they were expecting the way the way they see it but i think part of what we're here to do is bring a few other options to the table. Just It still is just about to the story the best way possible. Really. Well, the reason I ask that is I think there are going to be some people who are filmmakers starting mm -hmm. out and working for the first time, perhaps even, with editors. Yeah. And uh, 
I'm just curious from somebody who works as an editor all the time, what would you like to see a director do? I mean, sometimes I think it's just uh, being open to a different perspective on their film than maybe they had. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes a director comes in and you can say, oh, good, interesting. I've got something totally non-conventional here as to approach of how to do a thing. Okay, this this is going to be a challenge. This is going to be this is going to be interesting. I mean, the thing is, I would never presume really to tell a director, even even, you know, first time first-time directors, first-time editors, I think one reason everyone gets into this business is that they feel like they have stories they would like to tell and they would like to tell it in their way. So I'd never, I'd never presume to kind of go, gosh, you know, sit in the, I'm sitting in the, in the current room, gosh, they're filming this all wrong. They're doing this, they're doing this. No, no, this isn't right. Because I really, to that extent, might be kind of unaware. On the other hand, you know, it, it depends if I'm, if I'm sympathetic with the director's ideals and if i if i know that there's there's people just starting out i guess it would be even in a basic sense to make sure the right amount of coverage is there that the the the, the various shots that you need um are are available i mean look there are people on set script supervisors and others and uh, who are there to help the director kind of realize that and more often than not i I actually you know used to have conversations with a lot of script supervisors more than directors i'd I'd bother them less and call the script supervisor and say um what what's going on here because there's this thing here i'm not sure you've put this there and then this shot it's moved or is there an insert that's due to get to come or what what's the idea and so i find i used to find out a good way of working of hearing what's going on set going on on set by speaking to the script supervisor sometimes because i think even even directors who are just kind of starting out you know a lot of them will will probably want to bring something a little different and it's always kind of exciting to sort of see see the 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 new talent and and, and, and a a new idea so i suppose if if anything you know um maybe in those in those early days or if it's maybe there should be maybe a more open dialogue between the editor and director maybe during that assemble period during the shoot period and the director should maybe be you know uh, the editor should make edited sequences available to the director during the shoot um, and so they can get an immediate idea of feedback and see how their film is progressing uh, whether it's going along the along the right lines or whether other other things need to be uh, need to be dealt with so maybe for, for in, in that respect and certainly with the technology available you know an editor a director should is, is is able to at the end of the night really to get home and the, the editor can say, I have got some sequences for you to have a look at, see, see, see how they're coming along and these is this is this what you were thinking and um or I have a few thoughts on this. And so I think it's just about keeping those lines of communication open. And which of your films do you feel that you had the most impact on in terms of storytelling? I guess certainly Baby Driver was one where I ended up having a reasonable amount of input in that. I mean, just in the filmmaking, I mean, during the shooting of it, but also, I mean, in, in, in the post-production period. Funny enough, the one I feel like I've made a, a contribution is actually one that we just put in the finishing touches to now, which is Edgar's new film, Last Night in, in Soho, which actually, um, I mean, is so different from, from Baby Driver and probably so different from anything else Edgar's actually done. I would, for me, is probably one of the most enjoyable projects I've ever worked on uh, with, well, I'd say with Edgar and also just in my, my, my little career such as it is, because there's been so many ideas, there's been so many moments it, in the editing of that film where we've kind of said, what, could, what can we do here? And the editing has been so much more of an open book 
and I wish I could could share more of this with you. Obviously, you know, the film's still going to come out, not due to come out until next spring, I think at this stage. And we're still, we're just about to start the sound mix actually on, on, on Monday. But there's, there's, a, there's a film there where actually, I think in terms of what I've been allowed to bring to the table and the ideas that have been taken on board have probably given me the most satisfaction actually as an editor thus far. And that's not just me sort of saying, oh, what's your favorite thing? Or the thing I've done most recently is the favorite thing. Because obviously as an editor, you know, you could get well and truly exhausted watching the same thing over and over for years. I mean, fun enough, Scott, Scott Pilgrim, I mean, that was a huge undertaking. And we did a lot, uh, John Amos and myself, uh, towards, towards that film. And then I don't, I think I, when we finished it, back in August of 2010, I think it was, or, or earlier, uh, I don't think I ever watched the film again. The last time I saw the film again was actually about a month or so ago when Edgar, actually, Edgar and I were asked to attend a, a 4K remastering of the film. And I, that was the first time I watched it. It was quite amazing to, to sit back and almost disassociate yourself from the film as you remembered it from 10 years ago and sort of just watch it as a film. And slowly you just remember all the bits that you, you brought to the table and the things that you helped make seamless uh, and various things like that. Although it's always an intense time, filmmaking almost always is. But I would actually say in terms of collaboration and storytelling and, and, and cont contribution to that, definitely this one now, last night in Soho. And, and, and all I can say is next April, you, you'll see what I mean. <laughs> I wish I could be more, uh, more open than that. Fine, be a tease. Indeed. <laughs> I, talk a little bit more about Scott Pilgrim, because this is also interesting in the sense that it's an adaptation of a graphic novel. Mm. And the editing, too, in that there's a lot of very clever cuts, some that I imagine were scripted in yep. and some yep. that probably came up in the editing room. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. uh, discuss a little bit working on that one. I mean, well, that was a huge, huge adventure, an enormous undertaking. I think for me, it was about 20 months from start to finish, I think. I think it was an eight-month <clears throat> eight shoot in Toronto and then another full year in the UK in post. That was a real experience and something that I'm just so proud of in terms of the, the, the end result, because I don't think there was a film really before, and actually now I can say this after 10 years after it, which really had that kind of sense of visual storytelling with, with combined with the action and the humor and the comic book approach. And I think that was Edgar's intention was to basically kind of visualize the kind of series of comic novels that the, the Brian Lee O'Malley wrote and drew and just kept that style because so much of it is, is borrowed wholesale from the graphic structure of the, uh, of the frames. And I think Edgar wanted to keep very true to that. And so, yes, there was a lot, I mean, there was a lot of planning. And in fact, back, in, back then, I, I, I wasn't even doing on-set editing. I mean, I was in the cutting room the whole time, except for the additional photography. When we went back to Toronto for three weeks, it was the first, it was the first time actually I'd ever done on-set editing with Edgar on there. So all of that had to be worked out either on-set and kind of, oh, I hope that's going to work out in the edit, or okay, that's almost there in the edit. What do we need to do to feather that to make that absolutely seamless? So there was a lot going on there. I mean, as well as just cutting the scenes, all the graphics that just popped in and out. And as you say, a lot of those transitions, some of which, I mean, a lot of which were kind of, kind of planned, 
but not properly realized until we could get them into the cutting room and to be able to move the images across the screen and have everything happen in time and have maybe something from one outgoing image reach into the next one or have the capture yeah that that took that took ages i just remember on the the timeline just seeing stacks and stacks of layers of video clips which you just had to you know do all this number crunching um fortunately they gave us a lot of time to sort of to do that and also you know edgar's um uh you know propensity for having things land on musically to happen on points as well so a scene you know you had to kind of tell the scene and the story but when say there was one scene when the two characters you know when scott and ramona kiss he wanted the kiss to land on exactly the downbeat of the chorus which basically just gave you the whole first verse to tell you the story and it's, it's just like so so how do i where do i, can I shave, a, shave a frame off there and if i take two off there and land there does it, does it look like a jump cut or can i get away with it and so many little bits of just editing where you're nudging shots two to three percent in terms of speed and invisible edits god knows what we threw at it just to just to make the whole thing feel like one continuous comic book strip which was kind of the idea so so yeah something i'm i think we're inordinately proud of and that we were given the opportunity to to do that film and a film that actually while maybe not not doing as well as expected when it first came out is one of those films that actually you know 10 years on there's now a lot of love for yeah i mean for me i think how wonderful to be part of something that down the line people still talk about because there are a lot of movies which go out there do well get their uh, profits and they move on i mean dozens of movies do that job and do and do it very well and but to, to have been a part of a range of films that actually years on people still talk about um it's something very special that you realize you've you've been you've been a part of uh and so yeah scott pilgrim was definitely a, a, an example of that well it really seemed to capture a comic book feel in terms of the transitions because you know when you're reading a comic book you're moving from panel to panel and then there's that moment yeah. where you turn the page and you're not sure what's going to be on the next page and that there's that reveal and I think it really captured that energy and that sense of uh, visual engagement. Oh yes, absolutely. And if I think, if I can't remember how many visual effects shots we had in there, it must have been over 2,000 or something like that. I definitely remember we went over 2,000 slates. And of course we all shot it on 35 and I think we ended up exposing about a million feet of film for that. It was just, just on the pre-digital pre-digital era. Having said that, of course, Edgar is actually still, he still shoots on 35 because there's still something about the texture of celluloid, which appeals greatly actually. So, um, but yes, I mean, there was, there was just so much went into that and the sound mix too, just all the various elements of the sound mix, every little effect, visual effect had an, had an accompaniment with that, I mean, everyone who worked on that film, I mean, yeah, just put in a million percent just to make that film flow the way it did for the uh, sort of 100, 110 minutes, I think, of its running time. But it's remarkable, like I said, I looked at it the other month for the first time in the best part of 10 years, and it really is like, gosh, wow, did we really go to those lengths, to those extremes to make a film which looked and flowed and was just as distinctive as, as, as Scott Pilgrim. I mean, it's, it's remarkable now look back at it. 
If you hear somebody come out of a movie and mention an editor, usually what they say is, somebody should have cut that down. It was way too long. Mm -hmm. So if there's something an editor does that you feel people don't know about or don't appreciate or maybe have a misconception about, what would that be? Well, I think, I mean, an editor is you know, kind of a base level, you're, you're right. People go, oh, the editor, you know, it was cut too slowly. The editor should have sped it up. I mean, I think in that respect, I think also from what I was saying earlier on, I think because the art of editing, it's such an oblique abstract medium, I think is very easy for people who don't quite understand you know, the one element, which is not something that's, that's really kind of tangible. To go, oh, well, it must have been in the editing. You know, the editing, they edited that too slow. They were, you know, I mean, I think, look, there's, you know, we're, we're not there sitting, sitting around trying to make a film go as slow as possible and thinking, well, we'll do this deliberately to annoy people. I mean, there's, you know, every, everything we do, there's, there's, there's a reason. We don't let really, as an editor, you don't really let one second of the film go by without kind of analyzing it and making sure is that, is that the best way? Look, sometimes there, sometimes there are things that with the best will in the world, maybe you're out of time, out of budget, you can't reshoot it. Things sometimes just have to be what they are. And there's always things as an editor, I've got to let, I've got to let a film, I've got to let this go now. I've done as much as I can do to it. And it kind of is what it is. And I always feel that there is a point when you edit something that actually you kind of go, you don't just go, great, we've done it. I've stopped editing. Brilliant. We've done it. We've finished. It's never like that. It's actually a process of letting go. And I kind of really feel like you could keep editing until the cows come home. And I think well, that's one reason why I don't watch much stuff that I've done once it's out there, because I would just look at it and go, oh, you know, I could have still shaved two frames off that shot. I knew it. But I think, I don't know, I think it's down to, to, to every director. It's, you know, you're there to make them happy to realize their vision and you're you know as an editor you're not deliberately there trying to sort of make people feel uncomfortable or the fact that you know oh it's too slow well it's the editor's fault it's too fast well it's the editor's fault it's a collab it's a collaborative thing i mean we're there to try and pull all the elements together you know we're telling the story we're in helping incorporate the visual effects we're giving feedback on that we're trying to get the sound Scape. I mean, obviously, there's, there's a full sound team working on it, but initially, you are trying to do a version of that in the edit to try and, when you're playing the story to people, so they get immersed in the full, in the full picture. So I guess it's not really just the editor, who's is there when people are going to go, oh, gosh, I think the editor cut that, cut that totally wrong. You know, there's a, there's always a reason why we've, why we've done it. But I mean, obviously, please feel free to disagree with 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 how we've done it that's it's 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 a free country and and everyone is entitled to uh, to an opinion i look back on things i wouldn't change anything that i've done you know they are they are what they are you know i wouldn't have made scott pilgrim you know 10 minutes shorter or you know i mean there was some i remember some there was some bit of criticism i think when the world's end film came out and they said, oh, yeah, there's all this dialogue. We had to wait about 25 minutes for the first action sequence. Well, you don't just necessarily go to a film just to kind of see the action sequence. It's the whole buildup of the story. And I, I love that because we had such good actors in that film. It was such a fun story. And actually, for me, that's, that's the thing. Just, you know, I would say allow yourself to get immersed in the story a little bit more. Don't just, don't always just come for the, the whiz-bang aspect of it. I mean, I know, you know, film tastes have changed and people's perceptions of 
how films should be paced, you know, with all the access to all the media and the, the millions of clips on YouTube and the access to everything all the time, which is what we have nowadays, uh, you know, has, has made that kind of internal body a rhythm. Uh, cl uh, the clock inside people says, I think, move a little faster than in, in previous times. And sometimes a film, uh, I, I would say our film, um, you know, The Last Night in Soho, we've deliberately, because it's more of a psychological thriller, we've kind of deliberately, I wouldn't say borrowed, but films that we've really enjoyed from the 70s, like Repulsion and Don't Look Now uh, and stories like that, and the way they made films then, yes, it was 30, 40 years ago, 50 in some, in some respects, but there was nothing wrong with the way they did films then. So I think like we invite the audience to go on this particular journey with us and uh, not all people may agree with the 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 roadmap that we take them to to get from a to b but i don't think that should necessarily make a film any less enjoyable just because we've dictated how fast our foot is on the um accelerator pedal so i've just done a whole lot of automotive references there but um it just struck me as being a, a useful way of trying to describe how um getting from a to b isn't sometimes Every, everyone wouldn't necessarily choose that route, so to speak. So, yeah, I'd, you'd, you'd get feedback from other people. But like I said, they're entitled to that feedback. You mentioned that you watched a lot of films as kind of your education for <clears throat> editing. Uh, if you could pick maybe three films to recommend to people to kind of exemplify the craft of editing, what three films might you point people to? Well, I mean, I would probably point to... Uh, I don't know some of my some of my favourite uh, directors really. I mean, one would probably be Stanley Kubrick, and uh, although I mean his style of editing is completely unique, I always recommend a film of his <clears throat> called Barry Lyndon, which came out in between Clockwork Orange and The Shining. It's a film that's almost pushing three hours, and it's very deliberately paced. I mean, it's nowadays probably it feels like a very slow moving film compared to how filmmaking is done now. But I think it's probably for me some of the most riveting three hours that I've ever had, not in just terms of shot construction, but of story and how something can take time to really take you into a story and make you go through all the gamut of emotions without it going at that pace. I mean, if you really want an experience which could just draw you in, it's just, you know, master craftsman filmmaking it's 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 Barry Linton in terms of editing uh of, of of a different nature I would probably go to someone like the Coen brothers uh I know they've been an influence for Edgar as well and fun enough for me it's actually one of the films one of the lesser known I would say lesser known films near canon but one that's called the Hudsucker Proxy which I think for me, just in terms of editing, I think when I, when, when I saw that, it was probably um, the first time I could see humour coming directly out of the point where the editor cut the shot. You know, there's the humour in obviously the, you know, when everything glided so well, there's this humour in camera moves, there's humour obviously in dialogue and acting, but I just remember just the the rhythm of the cutting and everything i i remember almost slightly being agog at those at those especially early those those films i mean even just the other day i was watching uh, the man who wasn't there a completely different 
rhythm to the Hudsucker proxy. But the Cohen brothers' idea of editing and their approach to it is 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 genius. But I think when I was when I was you know going through my education, uh, the Hudsucker proxy was definitely up there, just in terms of um, how editing can be done to emphasise humour and music and a combination of all those elements too. Um, the third film, I guess, which is sort of a little bit um, of both, and, and is another one I was a very big fan of, was actually uh, the um, Jean-Pierre Junet and the films he made in the early 90s, um, namely Delicatessen, I think. And I remember going to see that as a young kid back in Australia where I grew up. And once again, just, just looking at, you, you knew that the person shooting this film, as much as I knew back then, the person shooting this film really cared about how it was going to turn up in post. And there was a lot of planning in that. And I could just see how just you, the, the cause and effect of one shot against the other and the rhythm and the timing. And I just, I was, yeah, it just made me realise, you know, yes, it was editing that kind of, drew attention to itself a little bit. You know, you could see the editing was almost like a character in the film as much as everything else, because it was, it was important. But, you know, may, maybe other people, you know, as for me as an aspiring editor, I, you know, I'm always the person interested in what's going on behind the clock face. I like looking at the cogs and how all that works. A lot of people are just happy watching the hands going round, if you know what I mean, and they just enjoy the film and they will, would have found, found delicatessen funny and amusing and, and everything that it, it so rightly is. But then I just was, I would analyze. And that's the thing. Unfortunately, that's, that's what I would do is I would just, I would be breaking it down even while watching, probably slightly hampering my enjoyment of the film then by going, hang on, how do they just replaying moments? How do they do that? Which is why you have to watch a film uh, a number of times, and I remember just watching that film particularly and thinking, gosh, look, look at the craft work in lining those shots up and the precision. And I just absolutely loved the precision of it. Um, and of course, that, that, that could only work by making sure the editing was, was bang on. And I think just watching all these films, I just knew how important the editing was. And not just, not just editing for the sake of telling a story, because there are thousands of wonderful, you know, stories and dramas and things in which the editor is just the person who, you know, is, 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 is not noticed and does a wonderful job of giving the performances their best on the screen. And, you know, films like, uh, you know, I remember Alexander Payne's Sideways, the film which came out, I think, in the mid-2000s. I loved that film just for its sheer storytelling, the simplicity of it. It wasn't trying to be clever with the camera. It wasn't trying to be clever with editing. It was just great storytelling. And sometimes I, I just enjoy that more than more than anything else. Really, the simplicity of it. And, and, and obviously the editing just does what it needs to do to do that. The films that I've mentioned, I guess, are much more where editing is like more of a character, has more of a presence in terms of the construction. And I think that's probably why maybe out of all those things, I found that the most interesting because I thought, wow, you can go this way with editing and you can go this way. It doesn't just have to be the same thing every single time. And in terms of a palette of opportunities and, and things to try out, I, I don't think very few come as wide as what editing can actually offer. Well, I want to thank you very much for talking about the craft of film editing. Oh, you're very welcome.
That was Oscar-nominated film editor Paul Matchless. Thanks for listening to another episode of Cinema Junkie. If you haven't had a chance yet, please check out the first two parts of this Storytelling Through Editing trilogy. Whether you have an interest in making your own films or you're just someone who loves going to the movies, these editors will open your eyes to their particular film craft. I want to thank the Comic-Con Museum and American Cinema Editors for their help in arranging these interviews. As this crazy year comes to an end, I want to thank you for listening and wish you all a very happy holiday. Cinema Junkie will be taking a short break and we'll be back in January with all new episodes and maybe a few changes for the new year. Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinebeth and like my Cinema Junkie Facebook page. I'd love to hear from you with any feedback or suggestions you have as I try to improve the podcast. Till our next film fix, I'm Beth Accomando, your resident cinema junkie.